Cultivating Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Billy Schultz. This is episode 13 of Cultivating Leaders. Before we get into our episode today, I want to take a moment to make a couple quick announcements here. Uh, One is that uh, this week was the um, Vicarage placement services at both seminaries as well as the uh, pastoral candidate call services. And uh, once again, Minnesota South District is um, receiving uh, vicars and a uh, pastoral candidate. So uh, we have uh, our pastoral candidate that's going to be coming here is uh, Joshua Arndt, who's going to be serving at St. Peter in Leicester Prairie. Um, He's actually a Minnesota native uh, from Vernon Center, so uh, exciting for him to be able to come back home. And then for Vickers, uh, we have uh, Josh Reber, who is a Concordia St. Paul grad, who's going to be uh, serving at St. James and Howard Lake as a vicar. And then we also have George Denholm, who will be serving his vicarage at Woodbury Lutheran. So really excited to have uh, these vicars and this pastoral candidate come into our district, and uh, very blessed uh, to be able to, uh, to have them serve with us. Uh, so this episode of Cultivating Leaders, we continue from last week uh, with uh, the second plenary session from our Leadership Summit with uh, Reverend Dr. Terry Tiemann of Transforming Churches Network. And uh, you'll hear in this episode him talk about uh, witnessing strategies in uh, opening your church's doors to the community. And uh, we hope that this is a blessing to you. Great. It's good to see everybody here. So... So we're going to get into a little more detail <clears throat> now. In particular, I want to spend some time on just showing you some models for how to witness. But uh, we'll walk through all seven missional activities in people of passion, but particularly uh, parking on five and seven, which are the, the witnessing chapters. So let's go ahead and jump right in. So. We talked a little bit about prayer walking earlier. So if you want to go ahead and open your books, I'll just kind of show you how these things work. In the introduction, it talks about who people of passion are. And I don't know if you have seen any of the comedy by Jeff Foxworthy. You know who I'm talking about? He's a guy who says you might be a redneck if. You might be a redneck if you have more appliances on your porch than you have in your kitchen. You just might be a redneck. Or if you have uh, vehicles on blocks in your yard, you just might be a redneck. Or if you need a toothbrush instead of a teeth brush, you just might be. Got to think about that one. You just might be a redneck, right? So you can do the same thing with people of passion. So... (laughs) Use different examples. So let's try it out. We're looking for three things in people of passion. First one is, do you love Jesus? How many of you love Jesus? Well, if you love Jesus, you just might be a person of passion. How many of you like the church that you're currently a member of? Hopefully everybody. (laughs) Pastors, you got to raise your hand. Come on. You just might be a person of passion if you love your church. How many of you love the community in which you live? Just about everybody. <laughs> you can move, I suppose. So you might be a, a person of passion. So if you have all three, then you qualify to be a person of passion. The idea is you, people of passion don't necessarily have any special skills or gifts or training. They might, but they don't have to. 
The only thing you really need, and it's very important, is you have to love Jesus, love your church, and love your community to the point that you want to see more people from your community spend eternity with Jesus. And if you have those three qualities, you can be a person of passion. The idea with this is a lot of churches have outreach boards or committees or people who are designated to do evangelism. And sometimes they're very good at it, many times they're not. Sometimes it's difficult to find people who want to serve in this capacity. So what we thought would be a better way to approach this is just find people who have the passion for it. They don't have to be elected. They don't have to have any uh, special training. They don't have to be on any kind of board. They don't have to be a church officer. They don't have to have been in the church for a period of time. They simply have to love Jesus, love the church, and want more people to spend eternity with Jesus. And if, you, if they qualify, then you gather the group, and it can change in numbers. You know, you can start with seven. It can grow to more. Uh, you can have people hop on and off. But it's basically, we're going to do these missional activities. Who can we recruit? Who can we invite to be leaven in the loaf? So we want to change the value system. We want to change the DNA of our church from maybe being mostly inward focused to being outwardly focused. And what our research shows is you only need a small percentage, about 7% of your congregation or of any group or any institution to start changing their behavior and it will influence the entire group. So that's the principle behind this. So you don't have to have a congregational vote that says, okay, we're going to become outward focused from this time forward. Or we're going to do this big program or we're going to hire a consultant, which aren't necessarily bad things. Uh, TCN does all of those things. <laughs> we think they're good things. But we know for a lot of churches that's just too difficult. Uh, so let's just do this kind of uh, subtly and uh, you know, from the inside out and uh, see what God does. And we've seen this work in, in many, many congregations. So that's what we mean by people of passion. So we're going to have them do seven missional activities. Most churches will do this over a period of, say, six months, okay? For the first time. Then you can, you can repeat it, or you can keep doing many of the activities. Uh, I think I have a calendar in here where you can do it more quickly, which you certainly can, but uh, usually it works best to, to do this, say, over a six-, seven-month period. So the first activity, which I believe begins on page 11, is prayer walking. And we talked about that some earlier. But you'll notice there are actually a number of activities. So activity number one on page 12 is take a walk. That's pretty much what's up on the screen. Here's what I've learned about prayer walking and prayer in general, is we would much rather talk about it than do it. <laughs> Let's have a Bible study on prayer and never pray. <laughs> or, you know, whatever it is. So what we really advocate is get your group together, talk about it for 10 minutes at most, read this one page, then go do it. Make sure you have time to do it. So don't have a, um, one session to plan and talk about it. Your first session is we're going prayer walking. 
So if we weren't snowing and we had time today, we would say, okay, here's what prayer walking is. You're going to pray for whatever it is you see. Here's some examples. Okay, you all go that way. You all go that way. You all go that way. And you go that way and come back here in 30 minutes. So that's, that's just the way it works. Does that make sense? So just go do it. So that's activity one. Activity two is, well, for those that maybe would like a little more information, there's plenty of information on prayer walking. So there's a video series. It's actually, you can order a DVD, or you can go to YouTube and get all this stuff for free. Just go to that website under option one, and if it doesn't work, there's a, I always forget, at the end of the, um, that website where it says uh, K04, that may be a capital O. So if one way doesn't work, try the other. <laughs> and I forget, I can't remember if it's a zero or a, or a capital O. So just maybe make a mark in there that you need to check that. Or just uh, when you go to YouTube, uh, in the search, uh, panel, just put uh, prayer walking, and, and these will come up. Okay. So you can actually show videos. I don't show the whole series. It's too long, and it's the same thing. People want to watch the video series, and they don't go prayer walking. Show 10 minutes of it. That's enough. They'll get the idea, <laughs> and go do it. Uh, activity three, there's a big uh, prayer walking article. So you could take 10 minutes and read through that. Then go prayer walking. Activity four is take two. That simply means don't just prayer walk one time. This is what I see a lot of churches will do. We'll send out a bunch of people. We'll go prayer walk. Now we're done. We've done it. We never have to do it again. No. To, to really get the benefit and power of prayer walking, you should do it regularly and send groups out to do it. And then activity five is each individual puts together their own plan. This is when it really gets powerful. So if you have lots of people in your congregation who are prayer walking every week, and let's you know, think about it. How many of you go for a walk on a regular basis? A lot, you know, a lot of people do. If you're walking anyway, then pray while you're walking. That's prayer walking. <laughs> so have a plan. Uh, or prayer driving, whatever it is. The idea is that it becomes a habit after a while. So wherever we go, whatever we're doing, we're, we're just seeing what God's doing and we're praying and we're tuning into that. Now, let me show you how this works when it comes, how it relates to the visioning process. So my, my home church, which is Emmanuel Memphis, not the church that I'm serving as interim, uh, but I've been at Emmanuel for over 20 years, <coughs> excuse me, as a member. And so they went through this whole process I think it started about six years ago. And um, so they did this on Sunday mornings during their uh, educational hour. And we went across the street. We're in a subdivision. Uh, it's kind of an industrial park on one side and then a, an older subdivision on the other side. So we went across the street, went prayer walking. Also, there's a ring of uh, large apartment complexes within about a mile radius. There's probably a dozen large um, apartment complexes. So we sent some people to some of those as well. That's where we went prayer walking. And uh, we asked people <clears throat> when they came back 
to give us a sense of what they thought God was doing and what they saw. And I was really surprised by, the, by what people said. Here's what they said. We didn't know those people lived here. I don't know what you know about Memphis. Um, Memphis, just we just celebrated, if you want to call it that, uh, MLK 50. So uh, April 4th, 1968, Martin Luther King uh, Jr. was assassinated at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee. Well, that 50, 50th anniversary just came up. So we had all kinds of people from all over the world coming into Memphis. And on the one hand, they said, well, lots of progress has been made, and it has in 50 years, but there's still uh, a lot of institutional racism uh, in Memphis and around the country, a lot of poverty, a lot of crime, so on. Uh, well, in Memphis, there, we have a, a long history of white flight. So uh, after the uh, sanitation strike in the March, uh, back in 1968, and well, and then especially after uh, Martin Luther King was killed, there was rioting. I mean, entire sections of town were burned out. Uh, and it was, I wasn't there at the time, but this is what they tell me. And so a lot of the uh, people that were living in the city, and particularly downtown, all moved out to the suburbs, and uh, including a lot of churches. And uh, so Emmanuel is 90-some years old. They were in a different part of town in 1968. And depending on you know, who you talk to, um, they moved out further uh, into the suburbs. And um, a lot, for a lot of people, it was to get away from what was happening in the city. Well, now 50 years later, guess what? Where Emmanuel's located looks pretty much just like the area they left back in the 70s. And uh, the congregation up until the last couple of years was about 95 to 98% white English speaking. And, but if you go across the street and you go into all these um, apartment complexes, that's not the case. It looks just like the rest of the city, which is 60% African American. And also in the subdivision across the street, there's a lot of Hispanics and a lot of um, single uh, parent families. But yet our congregation, for the most part, all drives in you know, from different places. Even though we're in the suburbs, they still drive in from further out, a lot of them. And so after prayer walking, what they said was, we didn't know those people lived here. Even though all those folks have been driving into church for some of them their entire life, didn't realize the neighborhood had changed right in front of their very eyes until they got out there and started prayer walking. So to me, that's, that's just a, a really good example of what happens. You, you really get in touch with your community what God's doing. So that's prayer walking. Any questions on activity one? Activity two, I didn't give you any time to ask questions, did I? <laughs> All right, let's go to uh, number two. Oh, by the way, that's my wife. Uh, prayer walking. Uh, we did this at Trinity. Uh, so it's, it's quite an experience being an interim pastor at a downtown church. I get to do all the things that uh, I've written about and have uh, researched for the last 10 years. And it's, so it's, it's a, like a good laboratory. So. so they're going through the revitalization process now. Uh, it's a congregation that peaked probably back in the 80s, had some ups and downs since then. 
and peaked again. Well, it didn't really peak, but hit a high spot about five years ago at about 150 in worship. When I started there in December, they were down to 70. And we've, we've ticked up a little bit since then. But uh, it, it's interesting because the people know they need to make some changes. They know they won't be there in another 10 years if they don't make some changes, but yet there's a lot of reluctance <laughs> because, uh, you know, a lot of the traditions and a lot of the stuff is institutionalized. And we've done, done and they've done these things forever and ever. So uh, the, the uh, magic formula, if you want one, for transforming a church is you push people hard enough so that they'll change, but not so hard that they will rebel. <laughs> so it's like a pressure cooker. You gotta turn the heat up or nobody will do anything. But if you turn it up too high, it blows up. And uh, there's, it's basically, it's really an art and, and it's a spiritual exercise to discern you know, where that, that spot is. That's why having a coach, having somebody walk alongside you as you do it is really, really very helpful. Anyway, that's my wife uh, uh, prayer walking with another member at Trinity. Community surveying, you saw this earlier. So we we talked about the three questions. Let me tell you a little bit about my experience. We did this at Emmanuel, again, six years ago. Did it on Sunday morning. Went to the exact same places where we prayer walked. And by the way, that's a good strategy because it's amazing whom God directs you to. After you prayed over an area, it's, it's just God makes sure you meet the right people. And that's who you talk to. So, first Sunday that we did uh, community surveying, broke into uh, pairs, and uh, we went out in the community. It was a nice day. It was in October, so the weather was good. And a lot of people were outside, so we talked to them. Right across the street from our church and school, uh, a lady, African-American lady, was having a yard sale. And so it was easy to talk to her. She thought we were customers. And uh, so we asked her the questions. First question, what, how would you describe, you know, what three words would you use to describe Emmanuel Lutheran Church? And she said uh, educational, um, inspirational, and loving. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> Not what I expected. I'm going, but I'm happy. Why do you say that? She said, well, loving because I say when you all come out of church, you're hugging each other, you're laughing. You seem to care for one another. Inspirational because we have a big marquee sign in front and we put Bible verses and little slogans and sayings. And she said, I, I read those every week as I'm taking my kids to school and often that makes my day. I really appreciate that. And then she said, educational because I see you have a school. I see all the kids coming out. And in fact, she said, this summer I went over to the school office and I looked into enrolling my three children into your school. And I'm like, wow, that's great. What did you do? She said, well, I didn't enroll them. And I said, well, well why not? And she said, well, I found out I couldn't afford to send my kids to your school. So I asked her, well, what if you could afford it? Would you send them? And she said, yeah, I'd, I'd enroll them tomorrow if I could afford it. So guess what we did based on that very first interview we did? What do you think we did? Scholarships. scholarships. So now there's scholarships for families from the subdivision right across the street from our school. So we had a really good 
talk with her, and then we, we went down the street. Uh, there were some duplexes close by. <clears throat> there was two Latino men who were uh, sitting on the, the stoop in front of their duplex, and it's now about, I don't know, almost 11. Well, now it's about, about 10.30, I guess. Our Bible study hours from, from 10 to 11. And so it was about 10.30, and these two gentlemen were had uh, bottles, quart bottles of beer uh, in paper bags, and they were you know, drinking out of these 10.30 in the morning. And we approached them, and I was dressed, I had a short sleeve shirt on, uh, but I had a, a blazer on, I think. And so I looked way too dressed up <laughs> to be in the neighborhood on a Sunday morning, uh, along with my partner who was dressed about the same. So they immediately uh, get up and, and start going inside the house. We called out to them in our broken Spanish that we were from the uh, Iglesia uh, across the street. And so then all of a sudden they understood English and they talked to us. They thought we were from ICE and uh, that we were going to deport them. And so they were running away. And so then we asked them the same questions. And what we found out was they had just gotten off work. So they had worked the night shift. And so for them, it was, you know, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> not 10.30 in the morning. So we asked them the, the first question, you know, what three words would you use to describe Emmanuel Lutheran Church? And they said, we've never heard of it, which is what I expected. And then I said, well, if you look right over there, about 200 yards down the street is Emmanuel Lutheran Church. I go, oh, we didn't know what was going on over there. Um, and then we asked them, well, what needs are people in this community struggling with? And they said, English, we need to learn English. And I go, oh, that's awesome. My wife's in uh, English as a second language teacher. And she, at the time, had a class going on Sunday morning. And she had a number of uh, students, adults, that she was teaching English. So I said, you can come over right now if you want to. Uh, of course, they weren't interested in that. But uh, <laughs> maybe in the future. And then they said, well, how would we have known that you had these classes if you hadn't been here this morning? And I said, well, we have a sign out front in English. <laughs> that we, so guess what we did? We changed our sign into Spanish. And uh, from that point forward, every time we go into that community and we advertise VBS or special ministry with uh, door hangers, one side's in English, the other side now is in Spanish. So again, we learned something you know, very valuable just from that. Interview. And that's the point of doing these surveys, is you, you learn about your community things that you would not have known otherwise. Okay. So you, you gather all this information, um, and, and there's also surveys in, um, if you look in, in chapter two, there's a section on, um, what's it called, let's see. Yeah, activity number two, options for knowing your community. Uh, on page 23, there's five questions. These are for community leaders. So you, you want to talk to community leaders like your mayor or an alderman, a city council member, uh, police chief, superintendent of schools, people like that, and ask them these questions. It's very, very valuable. Then you get your demographic study from the district, and you know an awful lot about your community. <clears throat> so the next thing you'd want to do is a visioning day. So that's chapter three. 
And we have this all laid out for you on how to do one. So you can do this yourself if you want to. Uh, or you can call the district in or uh, TCN, my organization, will do it. And I've done dozens of these uh, over the last probably seven years. And without exception, by the end of the day, the church has written a vision statement for their congregation, and it has the purpose, target or targets, strategy, and the, the beginning of a plan. Now, you, don't, you will not finish your strategic plan uh, on that day. You'll have to give that to a task force or a committee. They'll finish it, but you'll have the draft of your vision statement. And what's really cool about it is the, is the whole the church agrees on this. I think that's the hardest thing to do is get, get any church to agree on what is your vision. But if you go through the process, uh, and it's a spiritual process, God directs you to the vision. And uh, so then you do that. You have to redo these every about five years. No vision lasts forever. So you have to redo it about every five years. Do you have a separate vision for you? Sorry? Um, no, no, you include them in the process, so you want, you want them to participate as well. Um, many times, depending on, you know, the community, but part of the vision will, one of the targets will be youth, and that often comes out, not always, but, uh, yeah. Any other questions on vision? I went through that pretty fast. Okay. <clears throat> Service projects, I've talked about some of these already. I want to have a little video I want to show you. I think that's coming up next, so here we are. Let's watch. This is first Lutheran Hot Springs, Arkansas.
So uh, what kind of projects did you see them doing? Car wash, absolutely free car wash. It wasn't a fundraiser. What else? Water giveaway, which in Hot Springs, you have to understand, Hot Springs is famous for the water. And you can buy it. You can actually get it free. They have uh, taps right uh, along the sidewalks. But uh, this was already pre-bottled, and so they're giving it away. What else? Yeah. I understood a question. Sure. Uh, you said you do some of these projects on Sunday morning. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Not instead of church. What? In addition to church. In addition. No, that's, that's, that's a great question, uh, and you will get pushback, especially the first time you do it. So you have to, you have to uh, do education. You have to just continually tell people, here's what we're doing, here's why we're doing it. If you have more than one service, our recommendation is change it for everybody. So in other words, if you have like 8.30 and 11, then do a 10 o'clock. Have everybody come together at 10. That way, everybody has to give up something. So, so you're not you showing. <laughs> well, some people will not come. I, yes. I'll just be honest. You know, I mean, yeah. some people will say that that's, I don't think that's what church is, or I'm upset, or it's not convenient, and they won't come. Um, but the point is, you're trying to change the focus of your church, and, and I don't know how else to do it. Um, I've we have found this to be effective. Uh, but it does take time, and some people will be upset. <laughs> yes? Sure. Right. Right. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. No, that's a good idea. Yeah. So you, you want everybody doing something. And so, yeah, if you're not going to go out and hand out water or whatever, you can stay back and pray. We had a group at Trinity last Sunday that they just stayed back and pray. And then they have a lot of elderly, too, that, that couldn't go out, and we made provisions for them. You know, there's things you can do inside or, uh, you know, you don't have to be out on the streets doing something. But the, the idea is to get as many people as possible uh, out. Otherwise, you won't change the, the focus. Yeah, another question. Yes, yes, exactly. And how long should you expect that to take? And what do you do to keep from getting discouraged when after two, three, four months it's not happening like you right. want it to happen? Right. Good, good question. It takes about three years. Um, so unfortunately, you know, we're in, a, we're in a culture, the American culture, we expect instant success. You know, you have drive throughs you have microwaves. Everything's instant. That's not the way things really work in life, and it's not the way you change an institution. So you need to figure three years uh, for the changes, really, to, to take hold. Uh, it is a spiritual exercise, so you do have to have prayer support. You need to be constantly in prayer. The pastor has to be courageous. Um, so, and I tell pastors, if, if, if you don't, if 
if, you, if, you, if you're not in it for the long haul, don't start this. <clears throat> so you, know, you need to stay at least three years after you start this. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And so you need to count the cost. You know, count the cost before you start. Um, and, and I give pastors uh, and leaders a lot of credit that, that do this because it's not easy. The easy thing is just let things kind of keep going the way they're going. Um, yes? What do you do if the pastor leaves in the middle of this? Well, um, <laughs> a couple things. Um, one is it's not just up to the pastor, obviously. So, so the, 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 you know, the, the members of the congregation uh, need to you know, stay the course. But then you absolutely, and, and this is where the, the lay leaders really make a big difference, uh, if they're really committed to the cause, then they need to make sure that the next pastor they get agrees with this vision. Yes. And that, that's why the visioning process often works very well during a vacancy, is, is to do that when you're looking for a pastor. This way, it's the, now it's the, it's the church's vision. The pastor had nothing to do with it. And as you're calling a pastor, share that with him, and you'll find out who's, you know, in sync with what you're trying to do and who's not. So, yeah. The, these events being held Sunday morning as replacing a service, now is that for participation as opposed to doing it, say, at 1 o'clock in there? It, it's, here, here's the reason, and you don't have to do it on Sunday morning, Okay. But the, the reason that we recommend that, and it's most effective, <clears throat> is because everybody expects Christians to be in church on Sunday morning. So if you're not, you are making a loud statement to your community because they expect you to be in church. Even though they don't know a lot about Jesus or the church, they do know most churches worship on Sunday morning. So if they see a whole church out in the community, and this works better in, in small, you know, rural, small towns and rural areas because then everybody's going to know. You know, if you do this in a big city, not that many people are going to pay attention probably. But if you do this in a small town or rural community, what in the world? St. John's Lutheran Church, the whole church was out. I don't know what they were doing. They, they, what's going on at that church? I mean, you've just created a buzz in the community, everybody's talking about it, right? So you've demonstrated to your community you care about them. And then number two, you've just demonstrated to your own church members. You have just said very loudly to your own church members, this is what the church is all about. We are supposed to be serving the community. This isn't just about us. But there will be some that don't get that right away. <laughs> and they're going to be the ones who complain. They're going to say, that's not church. That's uh, sacrilegious. That's not what God wants us to do. And that's why we say don't not have worship. You should still worship, but do a shorter service uh, or just do one if you normally have two or whatever it is. So, But if you think that's too big of a step, that there are other ways to do this. Yes, you can do it in the afternoon. You can do it on Saturday. You can do it other times. But if you want to make the loudest statement, do it on Sunday morning. That's, that's what we're saying. Yes? Can I be a devil's advocate? Sure, go ahead. Right. Uh, so I'm going to ask, where in the Bible 
Does it say we should be in church? Well, I think you know, the third commandment is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And that certainly refers to worship. And Jesus says, uh, or uh, not Jesus, the writer of the Hebrews, book of Hebrews says, don't forsake meeting together uh, every week like the heathen do. So, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot I think. Uh, we, and, and just going, you know, part of being the body of Christ means coming together. So, there, you know, there's lots of, good arguments from Scripture that we should come together to worship. It doesn't necessarily have to be on Sunday. It could be, you know, any day of the week. Uh, Jesus talked about, you know, observing the Sabbath and new moons and, you know, and so forth. It doesn't have to be on Sunday. I've had a couple people that work for Sabbath questions like that. Right. Um, but just going out into, commu- in, you know, and, in, in, you know, going fishing isn't worship. <laughs> I've got lots of people trying to convince me of that too. Yeah, because that's what you're doing, right? <laughs> you go fishing on Sunday morning, you're worshiping your dad. I'm not that dumb. So, right, right, right. Yeah. No, you're, you're giving yourself an excuse not to go to church. Yeah, there's always, there's going to be some resistance. Just know going in you're going to get some. But the better job you do of, of uh, educating folks, talking about it, answering questions, you know, don't do anything in secret, don't voice this on anybody, uh, you know, the better it will go. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. You had a question, yes. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, I think it's a lot different. This is incarnational. Tractional is we're going to have events. We're going to do activities on our church property uh, to entertain people. Um, you come, and uh, hopefully you'll like it, and you'll stay, and you want to be part of the, you know, the group. Now, we have some of that, certainly. But uh, the incarnational part is going out into the community. So everything you saw in that video was going out into the community. And the attractional, here's the thing, and I didn't really talk about this earlier. De-churched people still will respond to attractional model uh, outreach. So de-churched are people that used to go to church but quit going for whatever reason. Feelings got hurt, they got out of the habit. They know what the church is about. So... If what you're doing meets their need, they will come to an attractional event. Unchurched, which are people who have never been in church, will not attend any attractional activity because it isn't anything that they're interested in. And so those are the folks, they're hard to reach, so you have to be totally incarnational with them. So you go to the uh, microbrewery, and you sit down with them, and we're going to get to the, you know, how you share your faith then, because, uh, the, the, but they will, but yeah, some of it is attractional, but uh, it's, it's with the, the understanding that we're doing this to build relationships, not just to get people on campus. Okay? You tracking? All right. I'm going to move forward.
get to some of the other things. We've talked about most of this stuff, I think. Uh, so these are mostly attractional kinds of things. All right, how do you share your faith in a winsome way? Numerous ways to do it. Some of my favorites. Um, crafting a personal testimony and talking about the gospel. So this uh, is chapter 5. And it lays it all out for you. I will demonstrate this for you very quickly. <clears throat> so essentially what you're going to do is tell your story. And you begin with an introduction. There was a time in my life when. So, it's a time in my life, two and a half years ago, my father passed away. He had been sick for a number of years. Uh, he was suffering from kind of a Parkinson's type disease where... It slowly paralyzed him. So he went from being a very vibrant, healthy, uh, active person. Uh, he was a farmer. I loved sports and loved doing things outside with his hands. So he, he started, when it started affected, affecting him, uh, he walked with a cane. Uh, then he had a walker, then a wheelchair, and finally in his last few weeks, couldn't get out of bed, couldn't talk, couldn't do anything. So it was really tough to watch. As he went through this process, I naturally asked the question, you know, why God? Why is this happening? Um, my dad was a lifelong believer, very faithful, um, served as president of the congregation, actually had wanted to be a pastor at one time, until he went through confirmation questioning in front of the whole church. <laughs> Decided public speaking wasn't for him. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, why, why would you allow this to happen you know, to someone like that? And yet, when I visited my dad, he was always in a good mood, um, always talked about his faith, prayed together. He witnessed to his uh, uh, roommates, that he had uh, in the nursing home uh, where he was. And uh, at his funeral, you know, it finally dawned on me. Uh, God used this entire experience to show uh, his great love uh, to my dad and also uh, to me and my family and my brothers. And, you know, she just really showed that throughout his life, God was always there, even though sometimes it was tough. God was always there. And I know that I'm going to see my dad again. And every time I think about it, it, it just kind of gives me goosebumps. You know, it's not going not to be that long. And especially as we just celebrated, uh, you know, Easter and the, the resurrection of Jesus. I know that's exactly what's going to happen with my dad. And so I, I'm filled with great hope for the future. And whenever I'm, you know, I see other people that are struggling or suffering, I can share with them, you know, just what happened with my dad. Um, so now, I use those opportunities to talk to other people that may be going through the same thing, and uh, we talk about how wonderful God is and the plan he has for each one of our lives, and he wants us uh, all to spend eternity with him in heaven, and here's how you can do it. Here's how it happens, is you just have to have a relationship with Jesus and uh, believe that... Uh, Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. And after three days, he was raised again. And whoever does believe that does receive forgiveness, life, 
in salvation and will participate in the resurrection. Um, so, have you ever had an experience like that? Do you have anybody that you know, I mean, anybody in your family that's going through a tough time, that's sick or suffering, um, you know, the same thing can happen with you, okay? So that was, was that dramatic? Was it unusual? Was it powerful? I think so. I have some other dramatic stories I could tell, but yes. Exactly. And, and I think that's the problem a, a lot of people have with this method, is I, there has to be a period of time where everything, you know, went to hell in a handbasket, and everything was terrible, or, or I, you know, lost my faith, or, and that, and that doesn't have to be the case. But we all do go through, you know, cycles and ups and downs. It's really all about, have you had an experience in your life where God really touched um, you know, the situation and your faith got stronger. Talk about that. Okay, or if, I mean, if there was a time when you, know, you just kind of forsake the church and God and the whole thing, well, then that's fine too. Tell, tell about that. But the point is, you don't have to have some dramatic, I was in the gutter story for it to be powerful. Yeah. That has no meaning. Right. Yes. Yes. As much as you you can. Yeah. Very good point. So there's uh, a whole chapter in this in the People of Passion book, also in the um, in this book here. So, but the key is you got to practice. You won't get good at this if you never do it. It's like if you want to be able to make a left-handed layup, you'll never be able to make one if you always shoot right-handed. So you've got to practice and practice, and you will naturally get better at it. And you'll make some mistakes. That's okay. That's why if you do this as a group, you can practice in a safe environment you know, with somebody else in the, in the group, and then you can, can do it you know, with an unchurched or lost person. Okay, So it's very straightforward. Uh, this next one, if I had a whiteboard, this would be easier, but uh, <laughs> this is also, this is chapter 7 in People of Passion. Uh, we also use this one in the Discipleship Journey booklet, but it's, it's, it's really very easily, uh, uh, very easy. It's, uh, what is that, Romans 6, 3? I always forget if it's 23 or th 23. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, uh, if you have the opportunity to share with somebody 
you would write this out, or if you have your Bible, you can show it to them in the Bible. I like to write it out, because then you can circle uh, the words as you go through it, and then you, you draw a little cliff on one side. So you see a little guy there on the left, so you draw your cliff, and then uh, another cliff on the other side, and there's a big chasm in between, right? So that's you and me on the left-hand side, and we're trying, everybody in one way or another is trying <clears throat> uh, to connect with God, or they're trying to figure out the meaning of life. If they don't believe in God, then they're trying to figure, you know, what's the purpose? A lot of people understand that that purpose is to connect to God, but either way, trying to get somewhere uh, in life, and we don't know how to get there, and there's a big chasm in between. If we try and do this by ourselves, we fall into the chasm, and we never make it across. And Romans 6, verse 23 explains all of this. It says the wages, and so you write wages on the left-hand side, and you ask, what are wages? Help me out, what are wages? Something you earn, right? So, the wages of sin, what is sin? So here's a, a term that you know, a lot of people, if they never went to church, wouldn't necessarily understand, so you've got to explain it. What's sin? It's bad things we do. <laughs> it's whenever we are not in alignment with the will of God. Whenever we live contrary to what God wants us to do, that's sin. And so most of the laws in society tell us what not to do so we don't sin. So don't kill people, don't hurt people, don't steal from people. That's, all of those things are sin. So the wages of sin, what do we earn from sin, according to this, is death. We all know what death is. It's when uh, you're no longer breathing. But you know what? There's not just physical death. There's also spiritual death. Spiritual death is when we are separated from God. And we have no opportunity to ever connect with God. We cannot get across this chasm. And so the wages, what we earn because of sin, is physical death and spiritual death. And along with spiritual death comes eternal death. It means we will never get another chance. Unless something is done. And that's the big but. Don't you love saying that in church? The big but. <laughs> so here, this changes everything. Um, now you write that in the middle. The gift, and what's a gift? Something for free. You don't earn it. So you, you notice it's parallel to wages. Wages you earn, gift is free. Wages of sin, bad things, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. In other words, you can connect with God and you can live forever with God. It can begin right now, but it can last for eternity. How do you get this free gift of God? Now you draw the cross. This is how you get across the chasm. Notice the cross now forms a bridge. That's why this is called the bridge. It forms a bridge across the chasm. So through Christ Jesus, our Lord, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years, years ago, Jesus is the Son of God. He became a human being. Came to this earth 2,000 years ago, and he died on a cross to pay for the sins, take the penalty, became your substitute, if you will, and so your sins have all been paid for. So because he did that for you and for the whole world, you can have eternal life. You receive that by confessing that Jesus is Lord 
and believing that what I just told you is true. Do you believe it? If they do, then you can assure them Then you have just now uh, received the free gift of God. You have eternal life. You have forgiveness. And if you'd like to learn more <laughs> about how to follow Jesus, who has saved you, let's get together again next week. Yes. Okay. Okay. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, because I have no idea. I just kind of ramble. So I keep trying to check my phone, but I don't know what time it is. Okay, so that's just another method. This isn't for everybody. Some people like it. I think it's a great way to share the gospel. Okay, now I'm going to show you something called three circles. And this is a guy by the name of Ray Vaughn, and he's going to explain the three circles to you. So you want to play that one? You might have to do that from back there. Whenever I engage in spiritual conversation with people, I like to have three questions that I can throw out. The first question that I ask is if I could just pray for them. And I always seek to pray for them right then and there. After I pray for them, I always ask them if they consider themselves to be far from God or near to God. And I try to listen to their story. And after I listen to their story, I always ask this third question. Can I show you a picture that changed my life and it helped me become near to God? And if they tell me yes, I pull out a little note card and I begin showing them this picture that you're about to see right now. Everywhere we look in our world, we see brokenness. Our world, it's imperfect, it's cracked, and even ourselves as individuals, we too are imperfect and we're cracked, so we're, we're broken people. But when God created the world, this wasn't his desire. In fact, he actually had a perfect design in mind. Now the Bible says that we went from God's perfect design to brokenness because of sin. And sin is basically anything that we do that's against God or disobeys God. But you see, God actually had a plan to restore us, which is why we learn about this third circle, Jesus. Now Jesus, he's God who came down into our broken world. But you see, he was perfect. He didn't know sin. He had no sin. And as he was perfect, he was willing to die on a cross to become the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And then three days later, he rose from the dead so that he can restore us back to God's design. And now Jesus tells us, no matter who we are, how we can get back to God. He tells us to do two things. Number one, turn from our sin and living life our own way. And two, choose to follow Jesus and make him our boss and make him our Lord. And if we do that, if we choose to turn and follow, we can come to Jesus. And Jesus promises to restore us back to his design. And the best thing happens when we do that is all of God comes into us and he changes us and he tells us and helps us do these next two things, which is to grow, grow in our relationship with Jesus so that it becomes stronger. And number two, go go back into the world of brokenness so that other people, more and more people can hear how they too can escape and become near to God. Everyone in the world is in one of two places. They could be here in brokenness or they could be here in God's perfect design. Which place are you?
Now, after hearing this, the best thing that we can do is practice, 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 retelling it and redrawing it. So as you see this video, pull out a note card and try drawing it and repeating the similar thing. And after you do that, go back and watch the video again and then draw it out again and then another time and another time. Do this four or five times to help build up some repetition and then go out and share it with somebody that you know that's far from God that needs to hear this message and watch what God does. So the uh, website for this video is on your handout. You can find this on YouTube if you want, want to practice it. And, and what you want to do at the end of that, uh, once you've asked you know, whoever you're witnessing to, uh, you know, where, where are you? Are you close to God or far away from God? If they say, well, I'm, I'm far away, but I'd like to be closer, then again, what you want to do is, is set up another appointment and talk to them about that. And that's where I find that this little booklet really is helpful. So after I've witnessed to somebody and, and they're interested in learning more, then I set up an appointment and I take them through this. Because it's all, it's all in here. Uh, you don't really have to think about it a lot. You just, just basically have them read through it, uh, read through it with them and, and answer the questions. Yeah. I'm sitting here Well, you don't have to talk about the Holy Spirit for the Holy Spirit to be present. Spirit is... Okay, well, yeah. I guess I'm assuming that as uh, Christians you know that. But are you saying for the person you're witnessing to that you need to tell them about the Holy Spirit? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, I appreciate that. Right. So, I mean, I can encourage you, you know, again, and I'm happy to do that. Uh, okay. It is in the, uh, it's in the very fine print uh, in these two, um, when it, it goes through each section in there, it's, it's in there, I'm not sure. Can't see that so small. See that very small print, but I mean, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, it's it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that, that we can you know witness. Uh, no one says Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. 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 
right? Right. But the, well, I guess I was just trying to show how you present the gospel to um, someone who's, uh, you know, doesn't know Jesus. You don't have to talk about the Holy Spirit for the Spirit to be present, but you are right. I mean, that. Uh, we, we need to be, it's the spirit that gives us the power and the courage and, and, and all of those things. So. Right. That's right. At the, at the same time, though, I mean, I, I guess I can't speak for people, for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's pretty common that, like, I, I find the Holy Spirit a little bit harder to grasp than kind of the... Well, right. Right? And, and exactly. I've been going to church for a long time. Right. Right. So this is, these are just very simple ways to share the gospel uh, with our understanding that the Spirit is working as we do that. All right. um, the rest of this is just kind of uh, some other things that you wouldn't have gotten in this session. So Seasons of Discovery is the session that uh, Steve Benson led. So this is a process that we put together that kind of takes all these principles that you've heard today and kind of packages them up. And so you can go to our website, which is transformingchurchesnetwork.org, or tcnprocess.com, which is on your handout. And there's a video, and there's lots of information about Seasons of Discovery, if you're interested in that. Um, But it's basically a a process that you would do over a two-year period. It's broken into four sessions. Or four seasons, I should say, and it's it's a three-track process. So you're going to have three groups that are equipped: the pastor and staff, a mission-minded group called People of Passion, which you just learned about. The, the thing about People of Passion is you can do this whether you do seasons of discovery or not. Okay, it's a standalone process. But if you want to package this up with the other tracks, you can. And it's called Seasons of Discovery. So there's coaching for the pastor and staff. There's this, these seven missional activities. And then the third part uh, are Bible studies and sermons. So that way, everybody in the church is going to be exposed to the same teaching. So uh, there's 10 weeks for each season of Bible studies and sermons that go with it. And so it fits into the church year so you don't compete with uh, Christmas and Lent and Easter because that's uh, very difficult to do. And uh, so it it works very nicely without creating a lot of extra things for the church to do. There's a little map, which you can't see, I'm sure, but it breaks down all of the the various moving parts uh, in the season. Now, this question usually comes up at some point. Well, how much does this cost if you want to do it? And so we have a special arrangement with the Minnesota South District. Normally, it would cost $7,200 over two years, which most churches don't have uh, to to be able to spend. So we give a $4,800 discount. So it's basically $100 a month if you decide you want to use this or do this. Talk to Phil Johnson. Uh, or to me, and uh, we can uh, help get this going. And I'll stop here. So any questions uh, 
on any of the stuff that we just covered. Yes? Mm -hmm. Yes, that includes coaching. And that's really where all the cost is, is in the coaching. Because uh, we've developed all of this already, and sure. so we've paid for all that. Where we, wanna, we want churches to use it, but uh, we do have to pay for the coaching. You do have to pay for any books that you might use. So, you know, you'd want more people probably to have this. The Bible studies, you'd have to buy those. Uh, and then any expenses, which would only be for the visioning day. So, and I don't know if the district would charge anything, but... If I came, it would just be my expenses. You have to pay my plane ticket. And, uh, no other cost. But if I come, i got to you know, get my expenses met anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. I have so, a question. Yes. Now, you mentioned the, the pastor and staff. Uh-huh. Who are you all including in that staff? Staff is anybody that... Uh, a paycheck from the church? No. <laughs> staff, staff doesn't have to be paid. Staff is anybody who has responsibility for a particular ministry and is accountable to someone else. Okay. That's staff. And it's usually accountable to the senior pastor or his designee. That's staff. Okay. Any other questions? Yes. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. I, yeah, I hope I hope I make it back. Um, What's that? We got a good airport here. Okay, good. I do have a backup for tomorrow morning, just in case. Um, hopefully, I won't have to use it, but I do have that. Now, this reminds me of my my first uh, uh, call out of the seminary was to Iron River, Michigan. I had a three-point parish there, so this is just like going back home, or not going back home, but where I started, so we're done. Good, well, we've got the group coming from up, from down, coming okay. up, from down. All right. Oh, I was going to give everybody, while, while they're coming up, I do have one last little gift for you. This is for the timid uh, at heart, where it's hard, and I think it is for all of us to a degree, to... to um, you know, actually share our faith. So these are free video answers to life's hard questions. So uh, it's a church business card on one side, and the other side is um, a uh, website. Thank you. You're welcome. And the website is truelife.org. And so they have about 30 videos. And so I just hand these to people all the time, especially people that serve me, like in restaurants and stuff. I'll say, thank you for serving me. I have a gift for you. Do you like uh, to watch videos? Almost everybody does. Great, I've got some free videos for you. Go to this website. You can get these that have a QR code on them so they can actually scan it if they want to do that. And so just go to this website and uh, you'll get free video answers to life's hard questions like why do bad things happen to good people? What happens when you die? How do we know if there's a heaven? How do we know the Bible's true? Uh, things like that. It even uh, addresses stuff like abortion, homosexuality, and uh, things like that. So things that sometimes we're not very good at talking about, but you can direct people to this. And then if you sign up with their organization, uh, then they'll put your church on their website. So if people go to truelife.org and you've signed up, 
and they have a fee for that. <clears throat> then uh, your, your church would be listed at the top um, according to zip code, and they would see you know, South Shore Trinity Lutheran Church. Click on the link, and it tells all about your church. So, anyway, so this is kind of an easy way <laughs> if, you don't, you know, if you're not comfortable uh, or if you're not to that point. But I hand out hundreds of these, um, and it's just really easy to do. So a little bonus for you. Okay, now I'm done. <laughs> Thank you. Here we go. Well, group's coming up, but I think they said their goodbyes. <laughs> Uh, I really do thank you, and we're not going to prolong this, but I really do thank you for, for coming out today. This was not a, a good day, an easy day to get out here, but uh, really appreciate you being here and being part of this. Um, as the weather continues to deteriorate, I'm going to continue to pray for safe travel for everybody on their way home. encourage you to do the same. If you did not get one of these uh, feedback forms, I'd ask you to do that. There's a website on here that to tie into and just give us some feedback. Uh, that's exactly what we're looking for is what worked, what, what didn't work, what would you like to explore in more depth, um, you know, for where you are as a congregation. So make sure you provide us the feedback that really helps us out. Uh, why don't we close with a word of prayer and uh, we, can, we can be on our way. Gracious Father, thank you for bringing uh, Terry up here to be with us today. Again, for the, for the wisdom that he had to share and the, the, um, the expertise that he brings to, this, to these topics. Thank you for the opportunities you provide each and every one of us uh, to, to be your hands and feet, to be your, your ears, your eyes, most importantly the ones that have been called to, to speak on your behalf in a world that is increasingly dark. Uh, we thank you for the opportunities we have to, to connect with people around us to begin to develop those relationships that lead to a new relationship, a new life in you. Uh, we thank you for the life that we have in Jesus Christ, and we ask that you would help us again, that you would help make us good stewards of that in all that we do and all that we say. May you be given glory and honor and praise, um, for to you alone is do all of those things. Uh, we pray these things in the name of, of your Son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain and who now reigns. And we pray it uh, with thanks in his name. Amen. Uh, be safe, everybody, on the way home. Um, we're, apparently, it's, it's, gonna, it's not going to get any better than it's getting right now for the next 24 hours. So <laughs> just be careful on the way home. And again, thanks for coming. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cultivating Leaders. We'll continue next week with Reverend Steve Benson from Eastern Heights Lutheran Church and his breakout session. And uh, then the next week we'll have uh, Dr. Tiemann's breakout session from our leadership summit. So we pray that God would bless your day. And thanks for listening to Cultivating Leaders. Cultivating Leaders.